Hello, I'm Bradley Callahan. And I'm Michelle Schrader. And this is Fork. Where we find out random knowledge. About the things we find most fascinating. And then... We talk about it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta mix it up. Uh, yep. Cool. <laughs> well, welcome to this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Welcome Bradley, in. what is your fun thing? My fun thing? Wow, we're just jumping right right into it. I mean, yeah, why not? You're you're right. We, <laughs> let's just jump right in. <laughs> My fun thing uh, is actually something that came up at work Ooh. with a coworker of mine, Jen. Shout out, Jen. So, the way I'm going to start this fun thing is I'm going to ask you okay, <laughs> what you call it. So, <laughs> it is... What do I call it? <laughs> no, 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 hold on. I call I'm not, it... I'm about to explain it. It. Um, it is something at a party, a party thing, that, like, you know, you get your party hat, and you get the thing that you put in your mouth, and you blow, and it unfurls, and it, like, makes a, a, a kazoo sound. Oh, crap. What do you that call that? That thing? <laughs> I don't know, like a party blower? Party blower is one one word for it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what? So we found out that there's a few different words for it. What? So it is called a party blower. I'm glad I was right on that one. <laughs> it is also called a party horn. That, no. Mm-hmm. No, a party horn is totally one of those, like, cardboard things that right? don't actually right. make a sound. Um, and the the third option that you could call this thing is a blow tickler. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> we happened to go on a little Google trip <laughs> to figure out what they're called. And we found out that <laughs> one of the names for it is a blow tickler. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Why? And now what I really want to do is go to like Party City and say, hey, where are the blow ticklers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I think the best outcome in that scenario was for them to go, oh, it's on aisle five. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Exactly. Like, total straight face. No, like, uh, <laughs> what did you say? Like, none of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That's amazing. Yeah. What's your fun thing? Um. So today, I mean, mine also takes place at work. Okay. Today, I got to meet my boss's new dog, Cooper. He's like a year and a half, and he's a German Shepherd, and he is the biggest, cutest baby I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So I got to meet Cooper, and he was so excited. He's He's so big. Yeah. Like... Like I said, he's just a year and a half. Like, he's still growing, and he's still got these big old puppy paws. (laughs) But he's a German Shepherd, and he's already, like, desk height. (laughs) You know? Nice. Um, So, yeah, he is a 
he will be a beast of a mm. dog. But he's also so excited about people, and he's just so cute. And I'm a big dog person, and so yeah. if it's a dog and I and I see it and I get to pet it, I'm very happy. Very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Also, she she's had Cooper, so she got Cooper, like, a couple weeks ago. And I haven't been able to meet Cooper yet. Hmm. And so today was, like, big day. I, mean, I was very excited. Nice. <laughs> very cute. Very cute. Yeah. I love dogs. Yeah. Such a big little face. Nice. And such big ears. But- <laughs> <sighs> I, could, I could go off about how cute he is for, for a while, but that's my fun thing this week. Nice. Yeah. So, I believe that takes us to the topics. It sure does. And I believe that I go first. Wonderful. My topic is (gasps) jack-o'-lanterns. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I feel like almost every time I introduce my topic, your reaction is the best. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> now this is totally late because at the time of recording this episode, this is still this is spooky season. This is Halloween. Yeah. We are we're coming not... up on Halloween. Yeah, we're not thankful yet. We're That's spooked. right. I am not thankful for anything <laughs> at this point. Talk to me in a week and I'll tell you what I'm thankful for, but right now I am focused on one thing, and that is the spooks. But when this comes out, it will be after Halloween. (laughs) Yeah, but that's okay. And i i will be I will be thankful for so many damn things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But in the meantime, jack o' lanterns. I'm so excited. Okay. So, to start with, I I looked into the origin of the Jack portion of Jack o' Lantern. Okay. And where. Well, just kind of the name in general, really. Like, what? Why? Why Jack O' Lantern? So I found actually two separate answers. Uh, so it's it seems like there's a little bit of maybe some like confusion. Some we're not totally sureness about it. Ooh, uh, sp- spooky! spooky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're the worst. Um, so one. One origin of the name is, it comes from an Irish folktale of a man named Stingy Jack, who basically really loved trapping the devil with crosses. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so one day he chased the devil up an apple tree. Oh, an apple tree, you say? Yes. That seems very... Fitting. How so? For the devil in an apple tree. Oh yes, I'm I'm with you now. Yeah. Anyway. Devil in apple tree. Yep. Uh, and he stuck a bunch of crosses around the apple tree, so he tricked him, and now Satan's stuck in the tree. Uh, and rather than leave Satan there, for the benefit of all mankind, Stingy Jack was like, "Hey, guess what? I'll set you free." If you promise not to take my soul, which doesn't make any sense to me, because if Satan's stuck in a tree, then he can't take your soul anyway. I also thought that that was the definition of a deal with the devil. It is. You're supposed to sell your soul in exchange for something else. 
But in this case, you're selling something else in exchange for your soul. Dang it, Stingy Jack. I know. He's always thinking that Stingy Jack. (laughs) (laughs) And so Satan's like, sure, bro. I won't take your soul when you die if you let me go. So Stingy Jack is like, sweet. And he lets him go. (laughs) So Sounds like this is going to come back to bite him in the butt. uh, (laughs) So Stingy Jack... We'll just call him Jack. <laughs> Jack lives the out the stinge. Jack lives out the rest of his days, mm-hmm. and at the end of his days, you know, he he dies, and unfortunately, he, you know, I'm, I'm assuming because he was like Satan's not going to take my soul. I can do whatever I want. So he lived out a very sinful life, of course, and died. And so heaven was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, nah. you were way too sinful for this place. And then he goes to hell, and hell's like, nah, you made a deal. You ain't allowed in here either. So Jack was sort of left with nowhere to go. Ooh. And he didn't, and because (laughs) the afterlife is very dark, he couldn't see where to go. And so Satan being like, you know, Satan being Satan, (laughs) just tossed him like, as like a joke almost, like just a little tiny coal that he could use to light his way. Oh my god. And so the legend has it that Jack still roams the the world. The idea being sort of that jack-o'-lanterns basically was like the lanterns used to like ward off Jack oh. from their house, which ties into a bunch of other like legends that are all basically the same. Other thoughts were that Jack was a name that like apparently they used a lot in Britain. Okay. As like, just I mean, like I can a, see that. As like a stranger, not as like a name, but like if you don't know a, know a guy, you just call him like Jack. Or right, like, like kind of how we use like the terms Joe Blow. Or, sure, or you know. John Doe. Yeah, okay. or yeah. Yeah, or like, what's up Jack? You know, sometimes yeah. sometimes that's still a thing. Yeah. I, I get that. I, I um, It's a placeholder. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, if like, a, like I don't know, the way they described it was like seeing like a stranger with a lantern to be like the Jack with the lantern. Ah, yes. And, or the Jack-o'-lantern. It just evolved. Exactly. And apparently, Jack-o'-lantern was a term that was used to describe uh, the, like, phosphorescence that is caused by decaying plants in marshy areas. Okay, what? Which is a whole other thing that I feel should be a topic for another episode, because I didn't know that was a thing that happened. Um, that's really interesting. <clears throat> It is. Yes. I wanted to look more into that, but I decided to stay focused. Fair enough. Yeah. For the future. This may come back. We we may talk about jack-o'-lanterns in a different context. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also known as uh, Ignis Fatuus, which also means foolish fire. Okay. Yeah. Which is just a fun fact. I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's cute. Uh, so, yeah, so the idea behind, I already talked about that, the idea behind the Stingy Jack was um, the Irish would used to, like, carve out vegetables and carve little gruesome faces on them, mm-hmm. like turnips was actually one that they used a lot. <laughs> that sounds, so, all I'm, I'm imagining, like, you know, the shrunken heads. Yeah. Either from, like, oh, yeah. Potter or just, like, I mean, that's exactly what it would look like, yeah. And because it's a little turnip, he's got, like, a little mm-hmm. sprout of hair. <laughs> <laughs> But he's all dried up. <laughs> <laughs> you carve a little face into it. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Well, well, I, I love think that. About it. Yeah, that's great. 
yeah, so the idea was just to, like, scare off the spirit of Wandering Jack. Oh, Jack. Yeah. Why you gotta go not sell your soul to the devil? So the process of carving out a pumpkin came from, uh, in Celtic cultures, like ancient Celtic cultures, they would, like I said, carve out, like, turnips and other vegetables like pumpkins for example mm-hmm. and car faces to ward off spirits in general they didn't necessarily have the legend of stingy jack but it was just spirits yeah. as a whole uh the tradition of carving pumpkins was brought over to america by irish immigrants who awesome. used to do that all the time because of the legend and something that i thought was important to talk about as well because it sort of relates kind of is the origin of halloween i'll okay. just touch on very briefly okay um, <clears throat> so before you go into that, was jack o' lanterns then kind of a year round thing? No, and I'm gonna kind of touch okay. on that too. Okay, cool. It, so Halloween sort of originated from. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right. Sam Hain. S a m h a i n. Sam Hain. That is how I would pronounce it. I don't know how else you would really. But feel Sam free Hain. to let us know if we are. Yes, please. Please <laughs> fact check us. Uh, it was a holiday from ancient Britain and Ireland that celebrated the end of summer and the start of the new year at the time, which started on November 1st. Hey! And the idea behind it was that the souls of those that had died that year would travel to the other world on that day. Uh, I like that. While other spirits would return to visit their homes... Hence, the jack-o'-lanterns to ward off the spirits. Because they're traveling. And the costumes to disguise themselves from the evil spirits because they're wandering around either back to their homes or trying to get to the other world. So that was sort of the culmination of why jack-o'-lanterns were invented, uh, why they were used, and also the origin of costumes and all that, and how that tradition basically was brought to America and how America, like everything else, was sort of like, oh, let's take all the religious context out of this and just make it a fun thing. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, because yeah. I, I know that there's a... I, in previous curiosities about Halloween and various things, there's been a lot of, like, religious implications in how... Mm-hmm. Halloween grew and developed into the holiday that we know it as today. Right. Um, especially, like, way back. But I yeah. think that something so interesting, and I'll maybe look into this on my own time. <laughs> maybe this is for a future episode. I should have thought of this as well. But um, I think it's really interesting how a bunch of different cultures have such significance with the end of October and the start of November. Yeah. Like, that... There's just so much right. in, like, historically throughout various cultures, like, mm. with that particular month change. So it's really interesting to see. It is interesting. And think about and look into and that kind of thing. Yeah. Halloween. Halloween. Yes. It's Happy on a Saturday. Belated Halloween. Yes. It, wa- it is, was on a Saturday, and it is, was a full moon, and... It is was when you were supposed to change your clocks. Yep. Because daylight savings. So you do get an extra hour of sleep, I believe, on Sunday morning. Yeah. To sleep off the spooks. Sleep off the spooks. <laughs> That's why it's there. That's the origin of daylight savings. They were like, whew, I'm, I'm, 
worn out from all these spooks. <laughs> well, why don't we just tack on an extra hour? Yes. I think that's a smart idea, Bill. <laughs> but it only sometimes happens on Halloween, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all I know. I don't... Daylight saving. Maybe. Yep, I didn't I didn't research daylight savings. I didn't savings. research daylight, daylight savings either. What's your topic? My first topic is, and this is also kind of related to the spooky season, but it's also not. Okay. <laughs> um. So my first topic is glow-in-the-dark things. Glow-in-the-dark things. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's so great. And... Yeah, I like. I really okay. So I've had I've had this little glow in the dark triceratops toy. Okay. Since I was very young, and I still Mm -hmm. have it. He he sits up on top of my, like my bed is up against the window, like the wall with the window in my room. So he sits on the windowsill, like directly centered on my bed. So he's Mm -hmm. just chilling up in my window. Yeah. But he's a glow in the dark triceratops. And I love him very much. <laughs> Does he have a name? Um, I think I used to have a name for him, but to be completely honest, I think I forgot his name. What? Michelle. Don't, don't hate me. That poor Triceratops. Oh no. Um, if you have any name suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. <laughs> anyway, so I have this glow-in-the-dark Triceratops, and he's pretty cool. I like him a lot. Um, and, you know, I was kind of... Triceratops. <laughs> the poor... Oh my goodness. Nameless, unloved <laughs> Triceratops. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just really I'm mad at myself <laughs> now that I don't remember his name, because I, I am the type of person who names everything, and I can't remember... I cannot remember what I named him. I'm so mad at myself. Wait, ooh. <laughs> was it Michael? No. Because then you could name you could call him Michael Ceratops. <gasps> That's a good one. I'll Thanks. I'll check in with him and see how he feels about that later. Yeah. Um, anyway, but he's glow in the dark, and so he's one of the glow in the dark toys where you have to you have to charge him up and set him under a light. Oh, okay. Yep. And then you turn the light off, and then he glows. Oh wow! I haven't had one of those in a long time. Yeah. Um, I forgot about that concept of charging up a glow-in-the-dark thing in the light. So, I was curious what causes that. Yeah. I looked into it. And, I mean, I guess that kind of fits in with the spooky season, because I'm sure that a lot of people will have glow-in-the-dark type things on them to help their adult figures find the small children that are associated with them and that kind of thing. Right. Because trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating, which (laughs) may or may not be a thing That's a thing. Yeah. TBD. TBD. Yeah. So I figured I would attempt to shed some light on the subject. Uh (laughs) Oh. Glow in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Attempt to shed some glow on the subject, if you will. Yes. (laughs) Indeed. <laughs> so realistically, what glow-in-the-dark stuff comes down to, when you start looking into this, you're going to start to see the difference between luminescence and incandescence. Luminescence is referring to light that is produced from cool materials. 
like physically, whereas incandescence is light that is produced from heat. So think fire. Okay. Yes. All right. I'm, I'm following. Yeah. Whereas luminescence does apply to glow in the dark here because it's a cool material. Right. It's not yeah. particularly hot. <laughs> sure. But things that are luminescent are not always necessarily glow in the dark. Um, there's a lot of different things that are luminescent. Like there's bioluminescence. There's phosphorescence. There's there's lots of essences that are luminous <laughs> in, in yes. variety. But particularly for glow in the dark materials, you're going to be looking at phosphorescence. And, okay. Yeah. Which is also why what you said about jack-o'-lanterns, that was very fascinating to me. <laughs> we are just on the same wavelength. Yeah, we are totally Our, to- our topics are just like rubbing right up against each other. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> um, yeah. So realistically, when it comes to specifically glow-in-the-dark things... Mm-hmm. Um, what you need are phosphors, which are... Mat- phosphors. Yeah. <laughs> um, which are, the, like, these are the actual thing, it's the actual material Okay. that creates that glow-in-the-dark reaction, okay. I guess. And they can, phosphors can be used in glow-in-the-dark things, they can also be used in computer screens, LEDs, things like that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay. But I didn't go into the computer screens and LEDs oh, because okay. I was down the rabbit hole of oh, glow that's, in the dark. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> with my glow stick. I would be very interested <laughs> to know how it's used in computers, but again, I will do my own. I research. mean, essentially, it's like, it's something that will, my understanding is that it, it helps to create light. So if your screen produces light, phosphors help with that. I could how be do very you, wrong Like, Where do phosphors come from? How do you... How do you well, achieve like, phosphor? There are various like material compounds. Okay. So for example, with the glow in the dark variety, right? Right. Um, you will need For example. Yes. <laughs> for glow in the dark's toys specifically, you'll need phosphors that can be charged by vis- visible light. Mm-hmm. So you can turn on your light and put your dinosaur underneath it and it charges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then you also need it to sustain glow for a duration of time afterward. Um, Some very popular compounds of phosphors (laughs) that we use today in our, and most likely that appear in my uh, glow-in-the-dark triceratops, are zinc sulfide and strontium aluminate. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the second one quite correctly. But those are the two primary ones that are used in things like PJs for children that glow in the dark star, like that kind of thing. Gotcha. My little dinosaur probably has zinc sulfide in it because that was primarily used in older toys and things like that. Okay. uh, Strontium aluminate is a man-made compound that it it has a longer glow time. Ah. Yeah. But my dinosaur doesn't stay glowed up for too long. I mean, he stays glowed, like, if you really charge him, he stays on for a while. But he'll he'll lose his little glow okay. after a while. Hmm. But there are some things now in 
glow in the dark stuff that might last a little longer. Sure. Yeah. The science of glow in the dark has just only gotten better with time. Right. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. (laughs) Now, those are glow in the dark toys. A a Mm. quick tangent on glow in the dark things. Um, So for glow in the dark toys, you use visible light to charge them. Right. And essentially how that works is you shine them under that like light source, which, you know, will, it's essentially a source of radiation that will excite all of the atoms in your material compound. Okay. Right. Just having a little party. Yeah. So imagine like you just gave your dog treats or something, or they're like excited to go on a walk or something, but you have like a bunch of dogs in a room and they're all like running around. That's what's it, that's what excited atoms are like. Oh. <laughs> See, I was I was <laughs> Yeah. That's how I was picturing it as like a like not really taking it super seriously. Just like, oh yeah, a bunch of excited atoms, sure. Yeah, no, you've literally got like a bunch having of a little atomic dogs. party down there. <laughs> yeah, they're just throwing a rave. Um, you know, getting so, lit. Exactly. <laughs> so what happens as the evening goes on? As as okay. the atoms start to bump into each other and lose energy, they release. Um, they release photons, which is the glowy light, that which is which re- results in the in the light that we see in glow the dark objects. Wow. Yeah, and that's how it works. But in so my quick tangent. Now that we know how that works, right? Okay. Another source of excitement <laughs> <laughs> for these atoms, besides a light source. Okay. Okay. Can also be from a radioactive material. Ew. Yes. So, if you are familiar with the Radium Girls or Radium Watches, which are like watches that have glow in the dark hands, or and these were specifically Radium Watches were very common, like pretty back in the day before we started to notice that. This was kind of a problem. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the radium girls are now this is probably a story for a different time, but they yeah, I'm unfamiliar. like women like women would make these watches and they would essentially use like radioactive paint to paint on the glow in the dark hands on the watches. But what happens is the radioactive material, so the radium in this example is acting as that light source in that it is providing that radio, like, radiation to excite those atoms. Right. So they're just glowing all the time. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So so it, glow-in-the-dark can come from not only charging it by light, but oh, also sure. radiation from just, yeah. radioactive materials. Um, now, for glow-in-the-dark watches and stuff like that, we have other still radioactive materials but not radium that have shorter half-lives and things like that huh yeah all right yeah well i learned something new yeah look into it the radium girls is really um there's a movie or a tv there's some kind of cinematic thing that relatively recently came out about them but yeah like 
the women could, would get pretty sick <laughs> <laughs> from working with radium oh, all day. I can, I, they didn't develop superpowers? No, it doesn't work like that. They didn't this isn't just Spider-Man. Like become like super painters. They could no. just like paint with their fingers. <laughs> they just think it and it yeah, glows. That, <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> the most intricate patterns came out of that. So yeah, I thought it was really exciting that glow in the dark stuff is essentially just atoms getting really excited by light and then bouncing around and bumping into each other and causing glowy photon stuff. <laughs> glowy photon is They're that just... the scientific term? Glowy photon stuff. Yes. <laughs> Look it up. It's in the it's GPS. In... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So you know, um, yeah. the atoms have a party. And it's called GPS. They they <laughs> give mm. off glowy photons. <laughs> <I love. laughs> also known as GPS. Yes. Yeah. So that's we that's just nice. we love our acronyms here. <laughs> so Bradley, what's your next topic? My next topic is curling. Wait, like the sport? Like the sport. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because it's a sport I've never really totally understood. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I wanted to know more about it because I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I. Which is the premise of this podcast. Welcome (laughs) to Fork. (laughs) What's your fun thing? deja vu (laughs) (laughs) yeah the one like i have one distinct memory involving curling oh and it is the music video for lmfao's song yes and if you have not seen it i don't know if i recommend that you watch it (laughs) but if, if the the whole premise of the music video takes place over them curling like they are okay. on a curling team. Um I don't know. It's it's interesting, but I used to be really into LMFAO when I was in high school. I mean, everyone had a brief little stint, I think. <laughs> Fair. I'm pretty sure I've only seen music video for Party Rock Anthem. This was before that. No, no. I've seen the music video for um oh, I don't even remember what it's called now. The Wiggle one. That's is that Party Rock Anthem? I don't think it is. <laughs> Michelle is currently playing it in her head and dancing, trying to find the part where they s- sing I can hear the wiggle And I can portion. see the video, and I just... I can't remember the song. Uh, anyway. I don't remember most of that song. All I remember is the wiggle, 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 yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> they were a staple they were <laughs> of my high school days they were something else quite that just kind of came out of nowhere truly yeah they had a they were like nephew and uncle too i'm pretty sure really yeah oh i didn't know that i know so little about lmfao <laughs> Fun facts. But I do know some things about curling. Yes. Now. Anyway, curling. <laughs> As featured in the LMFAO music video. Yes. Um, 
Continue. I'm going to be talking exclusively about the LMFAO music video <laughs> for the rest of this podcast. Uh, no, so I thought I would start with the basic rules and understanding of curling because I feel like a lot of people don't actually necessarily know. They don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't exactly know how curling was played and how everything worked. So, curling is played upon a curling sheet, which is basically a rectangle of ice. Okay. I mean, not actually, like, you know, it's just an ice rink, and it's played within the borders of a rectangle shape, which which is known as the sheet. Okay. Okay. The curling sheet is 146 to 150 feet long and 14 to 16 feet wide. Is that depending on the level of professionalism with which you play? I have no idea, but it has to be within that range. Okay. According to the World Curling Federation. That's so intense. Which, (laughs) I know, that is such an intense name for a curling organization. Uh, The target that you see on the curling sheet, on either end of the curling sheet, is known as the house. Okay. So the target consists of a center circle, which is known as the button, and three concentric rings. So there's a button in the house? There's a button in the house. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) It's a party. (laughs) (laughs) So the stone, which is the 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 rock that they that they push in curling. The big circle thing with a handle. Yes, the handle rock. (laughs) (laughs) Also known as the stone. (laughs) Yes. Must at least touch the outermost ring in order to score. Okay. Otherwise, it's simply a matter of which stone is closer to the target. The button, I should say. The button. Okay. Um, The button. a, A key part, which I thought was interesting, of prepping the sheet for play is spraying droplets of water on the ice to create what they call pebble upon freezing. So essentially what this does is it should make the ice like the surface of an orange peel. So it's the opposite of what a Zamboni does. Because a Zamboni like puts kind water of... on it to smooth it. See, what the part that I didn't understand is that, in my mind, what that does is that creates a bunch of little tiny bumps. Yeah. That's ice, what I'm understanding it is. Which it, you would, I would think would cause greater friction. Yes. But what they're telling me is that these create less friction for the stone. Okay. So the way that I then imagined it was that it's actually creating little divots, little tiny little divots in the ice, which would then make sense in my mind. In my mind is I'm trying to make sense of this. Okay. Because then there's less surface. There's less surface, so there's less friction. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, because friction little... is when two like surfaces are rubbing up against exactly. each other. Exactly. So, so if there's if tiny one... little divots, then that means there's at, at a very small level, there's mm-hmm. less surface that it's traveling across. Right. So that's sort of the idea that that I had about how that works. Okay. So we're I gonna follow. we're, we're going to go with that. Yeah. So it creates tiny tiny little divot holes in the ice, which a makes divot. a l- less frictiony surface. Okay. And the way that the reason that curling uh, is called curling is because as the stone moves over the pebble, which is what they call the little divots, 
it can rotate or curl, causing it to travel along a curved path. Cute. Yeah. Okay. So... That's not just like a flick of the wrist type thing. That's just something that can happen because of the ice then, is what I'm understanding. Yes. I mean, you can... Like, usually they'll rotate it as they it. let go. Yeah. They'll rotate it a bit so that it can, like, do some some, some curling. Okay. So they can cause it to curl in different ways. Curling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than that accidental curl. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it sounds like a bad hair day. It, <laughs> that accidental <laughs> curl. <laughs> uh, so the stone is really interesting. Okay. And this is actually what got me onto this topic in the first place was overhearing a conversation about the stone in curling. Okay. Because it's very interesting. Uh, so the stone must meet the regulations set forth by the WCF, the World Curling Federation. federation. Dun, dun, There's something dun. about federation that just makes it's, that so intense. Yeah. So official. It just makes me it's think of federation. Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's the World Curling Federation. <laughs> so the stone must be made of granite. Okay. The stone Dang. must weigh between 38 and 44 pounds. Okay. It's a heavy stone. That is, that's a, yes. The stone must have a, a maximum circumference of 36 inches. But it can be anything less than that? So you can have just like a really tall... <laughs> You know, that was the only thing that I didn't see a range for. (laughs) It has to be at least four and a half inches tall. So you can have a really tall, skinny stone? Yeah. (laughs) Be terrible, but... It would just fall over. (laughs) Anyway. And this was what I found to be the most interesting. The granite that the stone is made from must come either from... And I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this right. Either from Ailsa Craig, an island off the Ayrshire coast of Scotland, or the Treffer Granite Quarry in Wales. That's so specific. Yes. Now, the reason that I found, at least for the Ailsa Craig, is that Ailsa Craig produces blue hone granite. And blue hone has very low water absorption, which prevents the action of repeatedly freezing water from eroding the stone. That makes sense. Yeah. So (laughs) it's a very specific type of granite that must be used to create these stones. And apparently there's a family that has a monopoly on it, basically, because they own this island. (laughs) Heck yeah. Um, I didn't get that much into that, so don't (laughs) fact check me on that. That's probably not accurate exactly, but... (laughs) Uh, the earliest record of curling that we have is from 16th century Scotland. I love this. <laughs> love this already. A curling stone with the year 1511 inscribed on it was discovered upon draining an old pond in Dunblane, Scotland. So did someone so just leave it on the ice and it... That's what Melted. I'm imagining. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, I forgot my stone on the lake. It melted. Oh no. And then it was gone forever. Or it just like fell through and they just washed it. It's just a just a small, pa- a thin patch in the ice. They like yeah. sent it and it went a little too far. and then Yeah, it was the winning stone and it just fell right through the ice. Oh, right, in no. the, right in the house. 
Right in the house. In the button, sorry. In the button. <laughs> well, the, the, right on the button in the house. It's in like the they house. hit the button. Yes. They hit the button the ice. in the house. Yes. The yeah. <laughs> the first written record of curling comes from the records of Paisley Abbey. Ooh. In fifteen forty one. The term curling was first used in the preface to a poem by Henry Adamson in sixteen twenty. Fascinating. Yeah. So what did they refer to it as? Or was it just a sport? Well, uh, the sport was also known as the roaring game (laughs) due to the sound the stone made as it slid across the ice. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. I like that. The roaring game. Yeah. (laughs) I like that so much. That that just makes me think of like a young adult novel because of the Westing game and the Hunger Games. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Now we should write a a young adult novel about curling called the roaring Roaring game. Yeah. (laughs) My favorite part of curling was when I got to the heavy importance placed in curling on good sportsmanship. Well, I mean, I'd hope that everybody's a good good sport. Now, just wait till I, I explain to you exactly, like, the, the guidelines of good sportsmanship that curling requires. I'm so excited. It is known as the spirit of curling. So... Okay, so you're, ta- you're the guidelines themselves are referred yes. to as <laughs> the, the spirit, spirit of, of curling, curling. <laughs> which is already I love this. fantastic. <laughs> I'm so here which for is it. enough on this its is own. Already so much better than I could have ever <laughs> ever hoped. So the spirit of curling okay. encourages players to congratulate opponents on good shots, strong sweeping, and spectacular form. I love that. Yeah. It's so supportive. It is. And in certain countries, it's actually tradition that the winners of the match have to buy the losers a drink after the game. Oh. I know. I love that. It gets better. I took this direct quote from the article I was reading because it just, it says it better than I could have, I could have said it myself. Perhaps most importantly, the spirit of curling dictates that one never cheers mistakes, misses, or gaffes by one's opponent, unlike most team sports, and one should not celebrate one's own good shots during the game beyond modest acknowledgement of the shot, such as a head nod, fist bump, or thumbs up gesture. (laughs) Thumbs up. It just feels like such a British thing, you know? know. Like it's it's all just very like very polite and very Yes. Very like one must not celebrate (laughs) one's own shot except by a head nod, a fist bump, or a thumbs up gesture. (laughs) I just loved that sentence. It was I love that so much. So I mean like there's just so much about curling that is just so very like very polite and very like you know, just sportsman-like. That That's is, awesome. All of the information that I found on curling, if I had had more time, I would have probably gotten even more because there's a ton. Uh, so if you want to learn more about curling, look it up because there's a lot there. I love that. I know. That is not at all what I expected to learn today. <laughs> and I am so, hey, I'm so grateful that I did. I'm so glad. <laughs> What's your second topic? Okay. Um, my second topic 
is seemingly very boring. Okay. <laughs> My second topic is how combination locks work. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is very fat. I have always wondered. It's always been something that I've just accepted, like, okay, this is what I have to do to get into my locker. Right. But I've never really understood why, and I'm a very curious person. So, think of your master lock, right? You've got, like, the circle with the faceplate and the dial, Mm -hmm. and then you've got the big hook on top. Um, So that big hook, actual term, shackle. Which makes sense. That does make sense. Um, the shackle. Yes. <laughs> and then if you were to blow up the body of this master lock inside, you would see in very basic terms, the, the main components here are going to be the lever and the cams. Now the lever, so on, on your shackle, right? You know how there's that big divot Yep. that comes out of the hole <laughs> yes that's there's what a divot in the shackle there's a divot yep. in the shackle yes so when it's locked right the lever is holding that in place because it has right. a piece that fits into that divot preventing it from opening right makes so in, sense right so in this order is all checking out so far good <laughs> with my experience of combination locks good good um so in order for the shackle to open the lever with its little piece sticking into that divot Mm -hmm. needs to be able to rotate downward to allow the shackle to open up. Yes. So this is where it gets fun. Okay. The cams are three circles. Okay. That... Oh. Each have a divot of their own that when they're all lined up, the lever is able to rotate to allow the shackle free. Sure. But when they're not lined up, the lever can't rotate because so, it keeps hitting the cams. So when you when you lift, so okay, so when you lift the shackle, uh-huh. is that rotating the lever? It's attempting to. Right. Yeah. So, like, but like, if they're all in place, it rotates the lever. It's not... Yeah. Because I guess the image I had in my mind was that the lever sort of comes out, and that's why you're able to lift it, not that as you're lifting it, you're yeah. moving the lever. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. I'm sure there's probably a lock so, that does work that way. So, does that mean when, when you stick it back down, mm-hmm. it pushes the lever back down into place? So, a lot of levers will be made... So the piece that sticks into that divot will be spring-loaded. So when you push the shackle back down, it pops back into the spring and then pops into the divot. So it doesn't rotate down. But when you pull up, it doesn't... So think of, like, a door. Okay. You know, and, like, the latch on a door. Right. You know how it's, like, curved on one side and it's flat on the other? Yeah. So the top of the piece that fits into the divot on the shackle is flat. The top is. No, excuse me. The other way around. Okay, the bottom is. That makes yes. more sense. I, th- um, I think. I don't know. <laughs> so that when when the shackle comes back down into, into right. place it can to push relock, it, it can push it back. It pushes it into the, into and then the it lever. And it springs back into the divot. 
So then that means that in order for that to work, then when you put everything in line, then it would have to pull it out in order for you to open the lock. You have to pull out the lever. No, because it, it flips up. So it flips up. Yeah, it rotates. So okay. The, so so, so the flat part on the bottom, right? So that's spring loaded too then. So like when well, you lift the shackle it lifts the lever. Yeah. And, and then, then the it lever has a little piece so once that... you, and then once you pull out Oh, wait. So once you pull it out then it comes back into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it lifts the lever and then snaps back down. Mm-hmm. And then it also has a bit that like extends and Pushes retracts. In and out. Kind of like a pen, like okay, the button yeah, on yeah, a pen. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I've got it. So, <laughs> this is such a visual I know. topic for <laughs> Um so No, but I love the, it. You're doing a great job of explaining it. How the cams work. That sounded mildly sarcastic and it wasn't meant to. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm trying real hard. Um, You're doing a great job. So, the cams, imagine yeah. th- Okay, so imagine you have three dinner plates. Okay. And on the very top of the dinner plate, yeah, that, like, you'd set your faceplate, your dial, directly on top of your dinner plates. Right. Right. So the very, the topmost dinner plate mm-hmm. is connected directly to your dial. Right. So if you rotate your dial, the topmost dinner plate will always rotate with your dial. Mm-hmm. But the second and the third dinner plates are kind of free free movement. They don't they're not directly connected to the faceplate. They kind of shift on their own unless they are pushed. Enter the teeth. Okay. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> um so imagine so in between your your dinner plates, right? Yep. The top dinner plate is going to have a tooth between it and the second dinner plate. Okay. Kind of on the on the outside. Like toward the outside rid edge. Okay. Um and then your second dinner plate is going to have a, a tooth on both sides. So toward the first plate and the bottom plate. Okay. So that when you rotate the dial, the tooth on that top plate is going to push against the tooth on the second plate. And cause it to start spinning with the first plate. Yeah. And then the second tooth on the back of the second plate will catch the tooth on the top of the third plate and start spinning the third plate. So all three plates are now spinning together. Right. And that is the first step in entering your combination for your lock. You know, you have to spin the dial Mm -hmm. three times. You're right. catching all the plates together okay. with the teeth. So when you go to... Okay, so now you've got your plates. They're all... The teeth are all pushing each other. They're spinning yep. in synchronicity here. Mm-hmm. I'm tracking. Um, now imagine that your dinner plates each had a massive chip in the side in different spots. Yeah. So that chip represents the divot in the cam yeah that the lever would slide into to let the shackle up yeah 
So you need to make sure that your massive chips and your plates are lined up Uh so that something can like, nothing's blocking the lever. So what you do when you start entering your combination, right, you've got all three of your your plates moving together. Mm -hmm. And that's when you're rotating your disc, your faceplate in a clockwise rotation. You do that three times. And then you rotate counterclockwise to place that first number, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're placing the back, that bottom dinner plate. Yeah. Is the one that you're finding the place for. First? Yes. Okay. Because all of them are connected. Right. The I last guess... one that you caught was... I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Or excuse me, you keep going in a counterclockwise because you're pushing the dinner plate. Then you keep going clockwise because you're pushing all three of them and they're all moving in sync. And then Mm -hmm. when you go to enter your second one, right, Mm -hmm. you go counterclockwise. Well, what you do, if you remember, the um, that face plate is the only one that's directly connected to the dial. So what you're doing when, you know how you have to skip, you have to pass by the number and then hit it? Yeah. That second number in the combination? Because you're catching the teeth. So what you're doing is you're taking the tooth from one side of the second plate to the other side to push it around to find the correct rotation. Uh... And then you leave it there. And then your last dial, like the last dinner plate that you're going to place is going to be the face plate, like the top plate, because yeah. that's directly connected. And once all three of your dinner plate crack chips, once all three of them are in line, then your lever is free to rotate down into the space that is created there and release the shackle. Okay. Now, usually when you put the shackle back in, so you go to relock mm-hmm. your um, your combination lock, Usually that amount of movement, that jolt that you feel is enough to move the second and the third dinner plates enough to prevent the lever from being able to come back down again. So you can't just double open. But that's why they recommend that you rotate it after you've locked your lock again to make sure that it's all jumbled up. Huh that make any sense it did i <laughs> i feel like i just went on an imaginate um, imaginary journey imaginative imaginative journey we just got on the magic school bus and yeah we rode just inside rode inside of a lock combination lock i yeah. and we've just come out the other end and i feel i feel parched i need a drink but other than that i feel like i've learned a lot <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I could help you with that. Yeah, I, I was fascinated by that. I To be completely... I know that verbally it might sound very complicated, but, but mechanically... But I feel like you, ex- you explained it very well, though. I, I feel like I, like it's I was, got a I was couple picturing parts. all of the parts as you were speaking. I'm, I'm tracking. I hope that... I understood. You, the listener, also yes. were able to successfully track how lock works (laughs) so that's how locks work now i know yeah now i just have to figure out how that means that people can listen to locks and hack them somehow because that doesn't make any sense to me i'm assuming that like it must like there must be a part of it that like 
that clicks into place right, once like it's in the right spot. Yeah. There's going to be a sound that it makes once you find the right number. Yeah. Well, that seems, like, too easy. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's another thing to, to Google, how to how to break into combination locks. Yeah. What exactly are you listening for? Now that I know the mechanics of how it works, what are they listening for? According to video games, you're listening for a little, like, clunk. ding, 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 ding. Clunk. Yep. Ding, 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 yep. Ding, exactly. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Big old clunk. Clunk. <laughs> Breaking into locks is really not that hard, according to video games. <laughs> right. I feel like in in real life it is a much. Different it's exactly situation. the same. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have much experience with that? <laughs> with what? Breaking into locks. So much. In real life. <laughs> so much experience. Just in general. Oh across across the board <laughs> virtually virtually reality reap altered Re- reality yep augmented reality <laughs> that's what i was going virtual for. reality 2d 3d 4d 1d third person first person second person fourth person fourth who's the fourth I don't person know. <laughs> what is fourth person <laughs> Oh, thanks for listening. We, we we appreciate it. We do. We appreciate you. Appreciate you listening to us talk about things that we find fascinating. We hope you yeah. find them fascinating, too. I know that sometimes they're, they're the little things, but realistically, it, it's it's the little things that, that, that are the best things. The little things make up the big things that make the best things. That's what... I'm leaving it there. That I love it. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> um, if you have any questions, comments, fact checks, suggestions, just want to check in and say, hello, how are you today? Yeah. Feel free to shoot us an email. We'd love to, we'd love to chat just with you. Shoot it on over. Yeah. Yeah. Little... With a little slingshot. A little virtual slingshot. <laughs> And That's what they need on the e- email yeah. email sites. Is like when you send send off an email, just a yeah. little animation of just your your email, just going into a little slingshot, just firing Pew. off, <laughs> and you know that it's it's being it's flying on its way to, yeah. to its recipient. Yeah, I, enough with the paper planes. I'm I'm here for for some solid slingshot <laughs> action. Slingshot email action. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to email us for any reason at all, you can go ahead and do that at fork podcast at gmail.com so that is fork like the utensil that you eat with and podcast like what you're listening to at gmail the email provider.com yeah. and thank you to kevin mcleod for letting us use his song happy boy in theme which is absolutely incredible we love it so much we do <laughs> and yeah i think that's it thanks for uh thanks for thanks for forking with us Fork you later, forkers. Fork you. Oh, there it is. Fork you later, forkers. Have a, a forking week. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, we have so many I, good ones. I hope <laughs> that you fork this week. I hope. Nope. That's, that's something else. I'm not going to say that. <laughs>